Hi, folks. Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The RiderFlex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now, a quick word from our sponsor. Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360. Fuel your brand. Todd Lancaster on the RiderFlex podcast. Hello, Todd. How are you, sir? It's fine, Steve. How are you doing today? Doing fine. How do you stay in such good shape, man? You look good. You look you look like you should be out in Hollywood doing one of those roles, you know, that uh, you know the middle-aged guys do. I mean, what, what, what's your secret, Todd? I knew you were going to get personal. I didn't think you were going to get that personal. That would make me blush like in the first two <laughs> seconds. <laughs> you look at you, what do you, 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 you work out every day? You eat right or what? I do Orange Theory about three to four times a week, and then I'm with a riding group uh, we ride for. It's a, it's a nonprofit that I'm a part of, and we ride well, they ride every single day, but I'll try to get, you know, three to four days of riding in every week, too. Very good. How many miles? You like? A, what's a ride for you? Is that 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 about miles? Now, about an hour and a half. If I'm riding with the group, you know, we'll make sure we don't drop anybody. So it'll be about, about 23, 24 miles. If okay. I ride by myself, you know, I'll just ride straight through anywhere from 30 to 40 miles. Any, uh, you know, any, any like other t- like weights or exercise or you want to do like yoga class what, what else you yeah, got yeah well, horse theory horse theory is a high intensity oh you know what's nice about that is you know I, i've got a membership a monthly membership so whenever i travel someplace i can go to orange theory i went to one in germany really? <laughs> yeah one, one in germany is funny because at the very end of every exercise they'll do a countdown three two one so everything was in german except the very end of the exercise. Then all of a sudden you hear this three, two, one, like, well, you've got German words for three, two, one, two. And so it's just weird that English was three, two, one. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. And how about your diet? Now, are you pretty strict or you're, you're, where are you? Like, tell me what you do. I'm just curious because you're, let's see, are you my age? You're probably my age, right? Or you're, you're held? It's six. Oh, so you graduated 85 high school? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're we're the same age. Okay. So. I look a day over eighty. Do it. <laughs> you look great, man. Tell me about the diet. What was? What about the food? The drinks? What you know? What, what are you doing I, there? I don't really stick to anything specifically. You know, I I eat healthy. I cook most of my food. You know, I, I one thing I have to make sure I've got no sweets in my house. Went down to my parents' house in Santa Fe over the weekend, and my dad loves Oreos. And so there's this new Oreo out. It's a it's a toffee filled Oreo, and I probably went through six of those within the first thirty seconds of sitting down. So I. I make sure that the only food I have in my house is healthy, so, so I don't have to worry about it too much. Uh, but other than uh, that, like, what I'll try to do three days a week, usually Tuesday through Thursday, uh, during the day, I'll just do a bone broth uh, diet. You know, it's just it's it's really good for your skin. It's uh, you know it's uh, it's filling. It's kind of like just drinking a, a warm cup of coffee every once in a while. And so it just it, one, it's a it, it really like I said, it helps the bones, helps with the complexion, but also it just kind of takes some of the calories out during the day and during the day Tuesdays and Thursdays no drinking either so wow okay all right all right well uh, that's okay so bone broth like even for dinner like so no 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 like ooh, that's tough Ooh, man well, it's, well what I do is I'll, I'll, I'll mix half bone broth and half beef broth and then I'll put uh, a whole bunch of lime juice in it uh, okay. coriander anise 
uh, cinnamon sticks, nutmeg, uh, chop some onion, onions up into it, and some ginger, and then I just I boil it for a while, strain all that stuff out. It, it, it's amazing. I mean, when I, I, I first started doing it, I thought it would be difficult to maintain, but it really isn't. It keeps it's it's high protein, you know, so it keeps the protein going. You know, the first day I'll feel a little hungry, and after that, it's just it's easy going. How about that? You know, I have not cut out bread completely, so I'm not a hundred percent bread cut guy, but I did. I have really watched the bread intake the last uh, six months or so. And I thought that would be harder than it was. Like it actually wasn't that hard. Like I, my, my wife will, I will, we'll, she'll make a uh, cheeseburger, so to speak, but it'll be lettuce wrapped or whatever. And it's fine. Like, I, I don't, I'm not like, I, I'm like, you know, it's not, it's not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, you know, like, like those little adjustments, like you just said, you know, like putting lettuce over, it still gives you that same feeling a little bit. Like it's still a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I, I really, at the age of 56, the, the nasty, bad for you coffee creamer, I really try to stay away from that. I try to watch my bread intake and uh, I, I do, I try to do more red wine than beer now if I can. Now, if I'm, if I'm at the pub with the guys, so to speak, you know, and everybody's drinking beer, I'm not going to like, there's a table of five guys sitting around with a beer. I'm not going to order wine because I'm afraid they might beat me up or something, but I, I'm trying to, <laughs> I tried to do more red wine instead of beer. That helps too. Yeah, yeah, I love red wine <laughs> as well. Uh, that's good. Good for you, man. So, tell me about your parents, by the way. So, they live in Santa Fe. Yeah. Give me a little yeah. history about your mom and dad and any siblings, if you don't mind. Yeah. So, one is uh, our family goes back about four generations here and up, up in Idaho Springs, Evergreen area. Okay. So, uh, kind of Bergen Park uh, section. Wow. Wow. Uh, part of my family homesteaded that. Really. Uh, Another part of my family was uh, down here. Uh, my grandfather's name is on CSU somewhere for design, helping design one of the buildings. Uh, so we always say we got a smart side of the family and a dumb side of the family. <laughs> now, what was that? So Lancaster, what is that? What was that? What's the heritage yeah, there? English. English. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we All did right. a 23 and Me not long ago. It's some of the most embarrassing results I think I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. From grandparents, from grandfathers that had other kids that nobody knew about? Uh, no, no. My family's been here in the United States for over two hundred over two hundred years. We're on both sides of the family. We're sons and daughters of the American Revolution. Okay. Just paid the revolution. Wow. Yeah. Our twenty three and me, we got it back. I was like ninety nine percent Northern Ireland, Northern England, you know, Scotland and Wales. Okay. And so I'm like, we've been marrying <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, does that make us one of the most racist people around, or is it just? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, how do you do that over two hundred years? <laughs> wow, four generations. So the uh, what? So what year would that be? The first family got to, to Colorado. What when would that be, roughly? I don't know that exactly. Is when we uh, up in uh, mountains, up in uh, uh, Evergreen area. Gold miners, gold miners, uh, gold diggers, gold, gold diggers. diggers what? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about Idaho Springs, the, the name of the football team. No, oh, yeah. I was talking about. I'm talking. No, for four generations, that had to be. That had to be the reason they came here. Had to be. So, so much ranching. So over in the Evergreen area, that would be ranching, uh, homesteading, other ranches. And then yeah, and so that's why we said we've got a dumb side and a smart side of the family in the sense that <laughs> we, had lo we had lots of engineers down in, in the Denver area. You know, get worked on the buildings at CSU, worked in the Capitol building. You know, our family helped oh. work in the Capitol building. I mean, we weren't, weren't the designers or anything, but he means. And then oh. we had a great relative uh, up in the Clear Creek County area blow himself up with dynamite and we were always like how did that happen they said well he was thawing out dynamite and we were always like well, doesn't it self-thaw 
<laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know I didn't know dynamite could freeze actually so that's new for me I didn't know that so it was just a few years ago a really good friend of mine Mary Jane Lovely uh, in conjunction with Dana Crawford from Crawford Hotel bought the uh, Mary Jane bought the Argo Gold Mill up in Idaho Springs that big red okay. gold okay and and we used to in high school go in there you know it wasn't a museum back then we'd break in there and drink and make out and just do things yeah. cool uh, so when she bought it, it's been a museum for a long time. She asked me if I wanted to do a tour. I said, sure. And so we, we did a tour of the mine again, just for old time's sake. And while she was talking to the curator, I noticed this tin box. The only thing that caught my attention was this tin box. And it had all these cylindrical holes in it. And so I went to the curator. I said, what is this? He goes, well, this is how you thaw out dynamite. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> wow. Explain this to me. Yeah. And when dynamite freezes, it loses its explosive power. And so the people responsible back then to keep the dynamite, sometimes they had to put it out of their jackets and sleep with it to keep it from freezing or to thaw it out. I did not know that. Wow. Course, the beds are being heated by coals and <laughs> so every once in a while, those two things didn't mix. Holy shit. So what they've got is this tin box that you slide <laughs> you slide the dynamite into the, into the uh, cylinders and then you pour hot water in from the top. So it allows the dynamite to thaw completely away from flame and everything else. Interesting. That That is fascinating. Did not know. I love learning about stuff like that. Wow. Pretty cool. Okay. That is wild. So you uh, grew up there then. Uh, what did your dad do? At the, was he your dad an engineer? What, what did he do? He was an engineer. Yeah. I worked for, uh, back then, Martin Marietta. Uh, okay. He worked on uh, Skylab and then eventually the space uh, station, the space shuttle. Uh, thermodynamics engineer. So, how, big, how old? Yeah. all right, big all right. Any siblings? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, both dead. So, my younger brother uh, died by a mountain lion attack up in Idaho Springs. In, uh, what was? Are you kidding me? Okay, now that there's only been like one death from a mountain lion in the last 25 years. Was that him? Yeah, 1994. Yeah, the day the first Gulf War started, uh, he was out. He was a senior in high school, and up there in Idaho Springs at the old high schools, we had paths we could run you know during school we had an hour off or something we were allowed to go run these paths so it was in the middle of the day he went off to go for a run and uh just never came back it took us three days to find we didn't know what happened he just disappeared you know so we assumed he'd been kidnapped or ran away or something then three days later we found his body literally within a quarter mile of school man that is so terrible todd i didn't know that so Right. Now, am I right about that? I mean, I think I, if I've heard right, like wh whatever it is, the, I don't know the exact timeline, but something like the last 20 or 30 years, even though there's been several attacks, there's only been one death, I think. Right. I mean, sure, I'm pretty sure it says death. And prior to that, I don't think there'd been a death like 100 years. And they said that oh, if man. the Gulf War had not started that day, <clears throat> that would have been the number one story in the nation. Because it was so unusual. Yes, yeah, so unusual. Yeah, people that aren't from here, you know, they come up from Florida or whatever, and they think like, oh, people are, are killed like all the time. Like, actually, no, that rarely happens. Uh, uh, holy cow! Can I ask a couple of? I don't want to do a whole podcast on that, although that could be an interesting top uh, episode. Um, so three days, and then they had search parties out or whatever. Do you remember? Were you like, were you up there with the search party? Do you remember I any of that? was actually finishing up instructor pilot training down in San Antonio. And so the first day or so, we had no reason to believe foul play or runaway or anything, you know, so we thought it was a kidnapping. Mm -hmm. So so I did not come home. And then finally, when there was no word after the first day, a guy popped in a plane and came home. And literally, I just arrived in Idaho Springs, started joining a search party, and that's when they found his body uh, above wow. us. 
Wow, that's terrible. You know, I will uh, real quick and we'll get off of this topic. Um, I go to the mountains all the time. So I live in Johnstown, Loveland, and I go I do a ton of solo camping. Uh, for me, uh, it, it's therapeutic, if you will. It's it, it's a uh, that's my thing. Now that my kids are gone and we're empty nesters and, uh, you know, if I ever need some time away from the wifey, uh, I, 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 you know, if that's my thing. Right. Like I go I probably last summer, I shit you not, I probably did. 10 to 15 solo camping trips either either in wyoming or northern colorado and i usually go as far remote as i can go to get away from people and i do not fuck around when it comes to protection like i am when i'm out there by myself i am always armed in some way whether i have a, a, a pistol on me or a knife or bear spray or something and some of my friends are like oh you know, you're being over, you know, you're being overly cautious, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, listen, man, I, I do this by myself and I'm 56 years old. Like when you're, when you're with a group, that's different. When you're by yourself and you're out wandering around, it's good to be careful. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> I do a lot of solo backpacking too. I haven't lately because my knees got kind of bad, but I'll, once I get those fixed, I'll be good back up. I'm with you. You know, what's interesting though is never once I've seen signs of mountain lions. Right. You know? seen one in a never seen one never seen one i've lived here for 18 years you've lived here your whole life i've never seen one now they always say they see you all the time yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well one thing i do want to mention is i don't know if you knew this but the bike path that goes all the way you know the the plains to peaks bike path yeah yeah Once it hits clear creek county right there where i-70 i-6 come together the two bears or two bears uh, a bar it used to be kermit's yeah kermit's. yeah that's the start of the scott lancaster memorial bike path so it goes through, and right there at the Twin Tunnels on the Idaho Springs side, there's an old wooden bridge there that you'll see every once in a while going mm. by, and that's his mm. memorial bridge. So that trail that goes all the way through okay. is the trail. We do a yeah, ride there. All right. We'll the trail back up this year. We're going to do another memorial ride for him. I appreciate you sharing that. Tell me about your other sibling. So Brett, my older brother, he died just a few years ago. <laughs> died of a massive heart attack. We were we were we were taught, we have zero history of heart disease. My my grandmother would I think be 105, and my grandparents, my dad's side, would be like 99 or something. So zero history of heart disease. We uh, I used to travel a lot for work, and he did too. And so he was just south of Boston at home, and I was hopping on a plane from DC back to Colorado, and we were chatting and saying, "Hey, it was mm-hmm. we're gonna hook up in San Francisco a week or two. We're gonna be in the same place." Hopped on the plane Sunday morning. By the time I got back in Denver, I had a message from my dad saying, "Your your brother's dead." I thought he was joking at first, but he was a terrible joke. But sure enough, he, he uh, pretty sure I was the last person he talked to because his wife was just going into the shower when we were talking, and she could hear him kind of yelling, but she she thought he was just looking for her. And so when she came out of the shower, he was already on the on the ground dead. You know, and he was so. How old was he? Was he fifty? First mass. So I'm fifty six now. So that was four years ago. He's fifty four. He was fifty four. You know, that is another uh, reason at this age. I do just about, I, I do anything that I want to do that I can afford to do. And you know what I mean? Like if it's on my bucket list and I got the money to do it, I'm doing it. Like I, I do not mess around with the, with, with the, with what I want to try to either accomplish or experience or do, because now that I'm 56, I hear more and more stories like that all the time, either family members or people I know or friends of mine, or either, either they died or they get something right. They got sick or something happened. And I'm always telling my wife, I'm like, man, from this point forward, anything could happen anytime. <laughs> well, it's 
it's interesting, you know, having my younger brother die so young, you know, I was only 22 at the time. <clears throat> uh, and then, you know, I've lost about 30 friends in the military. And yeah, six right. And my brother. What's so interesting is, is, well, I would do anything to give any one of those people back. You know, it's just like you said, just the outlook has given me a life is, is you, know, you just don't know when that last moment is. But more importantly, since all of these people, they just, I never had a chance to fix anything or say, I'm sorry, or mm. redo anything. Mm. They were just gone. Mm. You know, so it really did change, you know, the way I looked at things. And, you know, a lot of people say, what's on my bucket list? And what are, you know, what are all the things I want to do? What are people saying about me? You know, to me, it's more like, mm. what if someone leaves my life? I haven't contributed in a meaningful way to their life. You know, so it's really turned things around for me. You know, am I really adding to other people's lives where if they're gone, I would have regrets for not, mm. you know, calling them or mm. not going to see them, not saying something to them, or not mm. fixing something. So it's really just, it's changed the way I look at things for sure. And then how about your personal life? Let's get personal. When, when did you, you know, married kids, divorced, grandkids, what's up? Give me the, give us the scoop, Todd. So I was married, uh, when did I get married? 1995, 96. I was married for 20 years, you know, almost my entire time in the Air Force, well, throughout my entire time in the Air Force, you know, except for okay. a few years. I was married. It was funny. Is we traveled all over the world, had a really exciting lifetime, and, and we got out of the Air Force. It was kind of like, that one. <laughs> you know, great, great woman, great mother, great person, you know. We still do things every so often now, but we, our lives just were different, you know. It's like, it's like we finally had to grow up, quite frankly. Mm. Wow. And, uh, just had different ideas what that looked like. Okay, very good. So, how long have you been single? Uh, 2013. That's I think 20. That's 20 years. You've been single for 20 years. No, 2013. 10 oh, years. Oh, sorry, 10, 10 years. You've been single for 10. That's still a long time. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny. I, I met you like right. I think literally the year I was getting divorced. Oh wow. That's when I met Mark. Mark Newell. Right. Mm, man. That's when I, I I met you. But yeah. Okay, I, now. Uh, now, uh, all right, ladies. So go ahead and give your phone number, address, and everything. No. <laughs> what does it suck to be single and 56 like is, is it hard i mean you know t t let's talk a little bit about that like because here's the reason i'm asking before you answer i have a couple of advisors on the uh advisory board for recruiting firm riderflex here at the company and a couple of them are in their 50s and they're single and they they both were like yeah, it's cool at first, you know, okay, okay, yeah, let me go crazy, I'm going to date around, this and this, and then after a while, I was like, yeah, I kind of wish I had somebody now. Like, that's kind of the stages they're in. Where, where are you at? Uh, uh, neither. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, when I first got divorced, I was kids in the candy store. I'm not yeah, just yeah, this went crazy, this went crazy. Literally, I hadn't, hadn't dated anyone in over 20 years, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, really since about college, so it was but very quickly that 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 got old very very quickly and also through a few mistakes like oh my god i didn't know people yes that. right <laughs> you know? yeah, i've had three really good relationships you know um uh, unfortunately two ended up two of them ended up with the person not quite being the person i expected them to be when you know a lot of lying and cheating yeah. going but one in the middle was absolutely wonderful you know to be we talked about getting married it just wasn't the you know it was like we broke up for all the right reasons is what we say, you know, everything was there, but we just, just our lifestyles were just, just different enough that we felt that somewhere down, down the line, one of us is not going to be really happy. So, so for me, it's been different. It's, it's uh, just seeing friends go through good and bad relationships. Mm -hmm. There's worse things than being alone. 
<laughs> although, although alone during the holidays is tough, kind of, right? Isn't it? Great no? group of friends. You know, so to, uh, one of my friends uh, from Idaho Springs, and well, it's funny, it's like, you know, several women I've dated, we dated like maybe a hot month. We've remained very, very good friends. Gotcha. I've got one, two, probably four of my best friends are women that, that I dated. And okay. they've got friends, and one's even married now, but we still kind of hang out once in a while because we just valued, you know, valued each other. You know, the relationship didn't work out. No, so we go skiing and barbecue okay. in the parking lot and dance, and it's a good time. <laughs> Do they have the? Uh, is it is it like fifty five and over uh, uh, dating sites or apps or what? How does it? What are you? Are you? I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'll go on a dating app every once in a while. Like, well, the worst thing is, you know, I always got tickets to the play, and I've got the season tickets to the PCPA, and I always want concert tickets, and I always got by two well in advance because I can't wait till the last second. You know, so a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just swiping, trying to get someone just to go to a play. Uh, I do. My cousin, my nephews, uh, both moved into town. We went to a Red Rocks concert just the other night. And, uh, I had a sight unseen date, a blind Ooh. date. Ooh, <laughs> that could that could be good or bad. <laughs> I hope she doesn't watch this. She, <laughs> she looked like the, the the lady from something about Mary. You know, the one down in Florida, all the tan and. Oh. Really t- <laughs> just, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was inter- I shouldn't make fun of it. it, was, it was nah, that's all right. You, uh, I would not want to be single right now. Uh, even on the days when my wife gets on my nerves. And by my way, by the way, my wife will watch this because she does production on the podcast. But even on those <laughs> days, even on those days, I still like no, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man, I don't know. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention there, uh, I got a buddy. He says, man, he goes, I keep getting kicked off of these damn dating sites. I'm like, well, why? He's like, I don't know. He's like, I think I'm just being too direct. I'm just being, and then they say I'm being mean and I'm not really being mean. I'm just telling it like it is. And then he gets kicked off and I was like, well, then what do you do? He's like, well, then I make up a fake profile and go back on, change my name. <laughs> yeah, might, as well start, might as well start a relationship on, on the basis of uh, dishonesty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, and then uh, you said, did you have children? You said? Yeah, two girls. Yep, uh, ladies now, uh, 27-ish, 25-ish. I can never do the reverse math. Uh, one, my oldest, Lucia, she is a, a nurse, a cosmetic nurse down in Savannah, Georgia. Her boyfriend's an army guy. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> but now he, he signed down to Savannah, so they're down there. And then my youngest, uh, Sierra, she kind of out of the blue, no pun intended, chose to become an Air Force officer just a few years herself. And so That's she cool. kind of, yeah, now Oklahoma City is a air battle manager and hopes to get a pilot training slot sometime soon. Enid, right? No, not Enid, not Enid. Uh, tinker, uh, tinker. tinker, I mean Tinker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Uh, well, congrats. No grandkids. Nope, not not yet. Not I know of. <laughs> By the way, on the twenty-three and Me, when your family did that, was was there? I was kind of joking around, but half joking because I we did that over here and yeah, some things came out where you're, you're kind of looking at what, what's, what's this over here? What had how, how, this well, kid? My, mom, my mom's been really big into genealogy. So oh, okay. she, that's how we know our families, you know, I see. Daughters in our revolution. So no, we don't have any crazy uncles. No or, surprises. No surprises. Other than okay. the fact that we're as white as you can get. I'm <laughs> 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 uh, not necessarily proud of that fact, but <laughs> well, yeah. So then you decided what, right after high school? Did you go in right after high school? Or wait, did you go to college first before you went to the Air Force? That's a little story there. So, so <laughs> big fish, small pond growing up in uh, Clear Creek County. You no, know, I had a lot of offers for colleges. Had a, uh, there was a huge 
scholarship that was roughly back then $20,000 a year, which was huge for college. Sports grades, both? Both. I mean, again, I was not in Springs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I say that, yeah, I say that with complete humility. I really do. Because if I'd been over in Evergreen, you know, where there's 600 students in class, we were 600 students the entire K through 12 for the county. Yeah. I, I just wouldn't have, I don't think I would have, you know, done as well as I did. And, you know, it just so happens, Lado Springs, we had a great group of friends, you know, we participated in drama and football and all this, we could be oh. in every single sport, you know, we do student council and drama and everything else. And so on paper <laughs> to the Air Force, I mean, and colleges, that looks great. That's cool. You know, a lot of people didn't have that opportunity. So anyway, I had a lot of opportunities to go to different schools. I was accepted at a lot of different schools, including all the military academies. And then I decided, you know what? Fuck it, I'm not going to go to college. I'm going to join the Peace Corps. <laughs> Turned oh, everything, everything down. Really? Yeah. I was a little rebellious age back then. Uh, I contacted the Peace Corps, and I had a face-to-face meeting. And honest to God, this is what the guy said. Almost looked at me this way, too. After he kind of found out I had not gone to college and I turned all the colleges down, he got really stern, put his pencil down, leaned forward and said, young man, you need an education. <laughs> okay. It's, so you didn't go? <laughs> oh, I didn't realize how how um, competitive it is to get in the Peace Corps. It's very, very difficult to get in the Peace Corps. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. I, began all my, I mean, a lot of my high school teachers, you know, it was a bunch of potheads, not potheads. Up at yeah. Idaho Springs, you know, they were all in the Peace Corps. Like, well, they can do it. I can do it. I see. Yeah. <laughs> it's changed over the years to be very, very competitive. It's really hard getting Peace Corps. So the Peace Corps turns you down, but you get into the U.S. to the Air Force Academy? <laughs> well, then I had to go back and kind of, you know, beg, borrow, and steal to see which colleges are going to accept me back in. <laughs> oh. I turned them down, and I'd been recruited to play football at the Air Force Academy, and it was close to skiing. You know, I had, it's funny. I had no desire to become a pilot. It was like, it's free and close to skiing. That was the end of my decision-making for the Air Force. Okay. Ah, very good. And did you play football the whole, all four years or? No, I played the first year. Uh, you know, it just changed for me. It wasn't as fun as it was. And then uh, back then, Fisher DeBerry was our head coach. And remember, I went skiing one week and after the end of football season and all the rest of the team was in working out. And I got called in the coach's office and it was, because at Lancaster, we know let's do, we're not in the gym this weekend. And we do expect football to be all year round for you. And I was like, yeah. I think we're going to have a problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ski season starts. <laughs> so many people, so many people have told me that to play division one or division two sports, you know, they'll say, you know, when you go to college, a sport, your sport is year round full time. Like you really don't have any other kind of life. So yeah, it's just yeah. completely different mindset. Yeah. Yeah. So I played my first year and then it was just like, you know, I'm, I'm not into it. I, 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 I'm yeah. I'm not going to be good enough to ever do anything with it. And I'll, most likely I'll just get hurt doing this. So it was just a choice to not to do it and go do some other things instead. And did you know that you wanted to make the Air Force a career? Did you, you know, did you know you were going to stay in that long? What was the plan? No, no, I really didn't. You know, like I said, I didn't, I didn't have any desire to fly. I didn't, uh, I didn't have my pilot qualification. As a matter of fact, even when I graduated, they asked me if I wanted to go, because I had allergies really bad. And uh, uh-huh. back then, you know, they were very, very selective about, I mean, anything wrong with you, because they had so many people, they would just say, nope, you're, you're not a pilot. I so see. they asked me if I wanted to get a waiver for my allergies, so I'd go through some testing. So about a month or two after I graduated the academy, I, I got my pilot qualification, and so then they, they, I went to pilot training. So I keep saying my life is a big series of really good mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Mm. Uh, I had no no real desire to 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 fly or stay in the Air Force, but like they sent me to when I got when I got my pilot qualification, I want to go fly helicopters. <clears throat> and in the Air Force, that's like what? <laughs> You're an Air Force pilot. You're supposed to fly jets. Mm. And uh, I said, no, helicopters sound pretty cool. Uh, but the deadline for the helicopter school had passed. So I, I'm one of the pilots that had to go fly jets. <laughs> so, really? Okay. Grudgingly, um, I went blue jets for five years before I went to heli- back to helicopters. And any uh, engagements, any tour overseas tours and any of the wars that happened between? Yeah. Yeah. So the first five years I was an instructor pilot and I, I, it was when the first Top Gun came out and I use this in my leadership coaching quite a bit, you know, just the, the lessons in humility. Mm. <laughs> and I hate to admit it. You looked at pictures of me. I, I was Tom Cruise. I had the sunglasses. <laughs> you were the guy. Face. You were that guy. <laughs> and uh, I, but I wasn't happy. You know, I was projecting this image of what we were supposed to be like, but it just didn't feel good to me inside, mm. you know. So, so about five years in, uh, well, the Cold War just ended. So they're letting pilots out right and left. So I could have okay. gotten, but you know, at that point, my ego was so tied to being a jet pilot <laughs> that I, I didn't know, I didn't really know how to identify myself outside of that. Uh, so it was really a struggling time, and I, and I, I, know I, I always say this is the best decision I ever made in my career was because we let so many pilots out. All of a sudden, our special operations forces. Uh, you, you always have to do one assignment before you can go to special operations. So they okay. want you to have experience. Right. Well, we mismanaged our special operations helicopters force. So all of a sudden they said, we need 15 pilots right now. And they were allowing fixed wing pilots, jet pilots like me, to volunteer to go over and fly. So I was one of the first people. I said, sign me up. <laughs> and I got counseled up and down the chain of command saying, what are you doing? You want to go fly helicopters? And like, I mean, you don't get a leather jacket or anything else. I'm like, yeah, I want to go fly. My dad even told me my career was done. You know, I would never. Really? I did it. I did mm. it. Best, best choice I ever made. Really? That's, that's fantastic. Uh, and then what, uh, what year was that? So that was. That was about 94 when I uh, uh, transferred over to special ops. So the Gulf War was already over. Where, what was going on? I can't remember what was going on. So, so what's here? So you talked about combat. Uh, we had a one of the longest training programs in the Air Force in, in special operations helicopters. It's a huge helicopter. It's you know right behind me here. It's uh, MH-53, weighed about 50,000 pounds. I, have, I had 55 people in the back of it once. Just give you an idea. Our, our primary job now on classified was SEAL Team 6 and Delta Force and then all the other... Uh, dropping these guys off, dropping them off, picking them up. It's our primary job. Uh, infiltration, exfiltration into denied areas. Mm. <laughs> mm. Mm. But we also had a secondary mission of combat uh, search and rescue. And so it was during the Bosnian and Serbian campaigns, bombing campaigns, you know, two French pilots were shot down outside the Serbian capital of Pale. And for, for about a week or so, we were sitting alert. We, we couldn't figure out if they were captured, if they were evading. We started to get signs that these pilots were, were, were evading. Mm. So we went in, we, you know, we had to go into Serbia, you know, in the middle of the night, two o'clock in the morning in the low level with, with two helicopters. And we had all the fighters and gunships stacked above us to help us. We needed help. Got into the site and didn't see anything except this one strobe light, flashing strobe light. And it was only flashing on our goggles. We took off our goggles. You couldn't see it. So that indicates it's, it's an infrared light. I see. So, but we were out of gas at that point. And we had to head home. So we go all the way back. And then we decide, okay, do we think that that was the French pilots? And then do we go back in? 
So we did everything we were not supposed to do. Went back in exactly the next night, flew exactly the same route at exactly the same time. <laughs> it was basically a trap. We, we got lit up and we got lit mm-hmm. up in, in the landing zone and we eventually took six hits and two people were shot in the back uh, and we had to get out of Bosnia, we get out of Serbia quickly. Are these, can I just visualize visualize this and gosh, I just, we could do a whole episode just on your military career. Yeah, uh, some, of the, some, are, some of the stories I'll tell you will even be true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is good stuff. Were you? Are you talking? You're in air. You're. You're. I'm. I'm trying to visualize. You're flying the helicopter. There's guys in the back. Bullets are flying through the air, hitting the helicopter. Killed two guys in the back. Or were you didn't on kill, the ground? Didn't kill, didn't kill them. I wounded okay. them. Yeah. yeah. Wow. All right. Is yeah. your glass? Is the is your is the glass bulletproof where you're sitting? No. No. Oh. Uh, pilots. There's a titanium uh, tub, if you will. You know, down around us, you know, so that you can't get shots. But but now the glasses, they can shoot right there. Some, uh, some friends of mine in Iraq took an RPG to the front of the helicopter. The front of the helicopter fell off, basically. They, no one died. They landed the helicopter. The throttles were gone. They had to turn, shut the engines down by pulling a cord, <laughs> by pulling the, the cables. Those things were incredibly survivable. Mm. I mean, do you ever do you have nightmares or anything now? Are you still affected in any way through, through anything you went through? You know, that... I, I used to, you know, not really nightmares. It was always the what if, you know, like when we were in that landing zone, you know, get, I mean, this was just chaos for the first minute or so because mm-hmm. people yelling, we're trying to find a way out because we're getting shot at from all directions. I remember I'm in the left seat. I'm looking out and I can see the tracers getting closer to us. And so I'm yelling at the pilot, break, right, break, right, break, right. Someone in the back is yelling, you know, they're seeing something else. They're saying break left. And, and I mean, I, I don't know how close they were, but the last second, the pilot, I don't know if by grace of God or just, or he finally heard me broke right. And as we're turning, I can see the tracers going over the top of us. It's meant that it would hit us. Um, so it's always like those, those what ifs, you know, what if just like two more seconds, you know, I wouldn't have had my daughters yeah. or I would, who knows, you know, so that's what really, it wasn't so much the experience itself. It was all the what ifs, how close were we, you know? And right. Right, right. So you stayed in for how many years total? Uh, four years at the Air Force Academy and 22 years after that. So. And and then what happened when you woke up one day and said, I'm done, I'm out, see ya? More or less. <laughs> more or less. So I, I do want to mention one of the coolest jobs I had is towards the end of my career uh, in Afghanistan, the Afghans were crashing their helicopters faster than we could supply them. And then nobody was, we didn't have any, we didn't have any advisors flying with them. So Canadian, a Navy pilot, a Czech pilot, and a Hungarian pilot, we all went to Ukraine and learned how to fly. I learned how to fly Russian helicopters in Ukraine for six months and, and, cool. then, and then went down to Afghanistan. I flew with the Afghans. We flew with the Afghans, you know, for a year trying to rebuild their, their air corps and uh, help them learn how to fly better. So on Really? I bet, you have some, I bet you have some thoughts on us pulling out of Afghanistan after a 20-year investment. Absolutely. I will say that I'm not going to argue whether we should have or should not have. Okay, the conversation can go either way there, but we okay. definitely should not have done it the way we did it. Mm. Anyone who argues differently, <laughs> I don't know how you can. You, can't. <laughs> you don't want to, but you don't. You don't want to go on record of saying whether we should or shouldn't have. Well, it's, it's, I think that it's, it's, that's not the question. Is did our strategy match our long-term goal? So very quickly. Mm-hmm. Back in 2008, when I was there, we were making it very clear. It's like one, we need to do one of two things. Either we just have to accept we're going to be here indefinitely, like we are in Korea, and right. then plan our training and stuff around that, 
or <laughs> we need to recognize, we need to change our training process because they are not capable of sustaining themselves anywhere near in the near future. Mm -hmm. And we did the worst of both things and we kind of did both. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> so I got so you. Our, our strategy should have changed a lot earlier to be able to support the decision we made. Mm -hmm. And then once you made the decision again, we just, you don't pull the military out first. You collapse everything <laughs> and then you bring your embassy up to Kabul, you know, or not up to the Bagram Air Base. Okay. And then you leave. I want to ask you another military question and we'll move into the superintendent stuff, uh, which was, I think, next in your career. But I want to ask you one more thing while we're on this topic. And this is a, this question we could talk a full hour on, but maybe you can give me your kind of just short version answer. Are you, as a former career military guy, are you nervous right now with China, Russia? Should we be nervous? Are you like, eh, it is what it always is? Like, just what are your general thoughts? I'm just curious. Yeah, so what I think is interesting is there is no rival competitor to us economically or, or uh, militarily, simply. Okay. okay, people say that. They outnumber us in the Pacific, but we can make adjustments. we got tons of allies, so I'm not worried about that. What I'm concerned about is there was a term when the Roman the Roman Empire was around for a thousand years as Pax Romana, <clears throat> Pax Romana, peace in the empire because the Roman uh, uh, military was so strong. Okay, so if you're in the Roman Empire, that was, a, that was really a, a, a relatively a long, long period of peace. Mm -hmm. well, you look at the Ameri there's been a term out there called Pax Americana that since you know World War II, when the Americans really came on the scenes, you know, the wars have gone down, the amount of killings have gone down, you know, uh, tragedies in war have gone down, economies have gone up, the entire uh, 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 what would you say, human condition right. has increased. Okay. Life expectancy has doubled almost in the last yeah. hundred years. Yes. And so there's this big period of Pax Americana because people believe that American can keep the peace. If people start to lose that belief, then it's yeah. like, okay, well, why don't we go partner with China then? Or why don't we go partner with Russia? I mean, India already thinks that the, that Russia is completely uh, okay being in Ukraine. You know, they 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 see their partners as Russia and and China. Not the and how about and how and when do you, and what about Russia and China being buddies and teaming up? Is that a big nah. deal? Nah, nah. Okay. Well, Russia made a, a huge strategic error. They show exactly how inept they are. I mean, they've got their their equipment is basically as capable as ours, but they just don't have the strategy. Okay. You know, no, I, I, lose faith, people lose faith in America's ability to lead and and to maintain the peace. I think then we're in big trouble. It is. Interesting, you bring up that topic. What do you how, what do you how do you say it? Pax, what do you say? Uh, Pax Americana. Pax Americana. It's interesting you bring that up because I, I was thinking about this the other day. Since the Depression and World War II, it, it's not quite a hundred years yet, but it won't be long. And, and there's so many uh, gaps in the generations that have happened since then that that especially the Gen Z and some of the millennials, they, they're just. They're so far removed from any kind of hardship or anything like they don't they can't even grasp it. Right. Like it just they're so far removed from it that they're they're living in this not not fake world, but the, this I, I'm, this this uh, utopia that they think is just going to last forever just because. <laughs> And I think about that quite often. And I, uh, I was when I was on the treadmill this morning. I, in fact, I did a post about this this today. 
I was on the treadmill this morning and, and I usually pull up something on YouTube and this uh, history channel, Daniel Boone thing popped up and I was like, okay, watch this for 30 minutes while I'm on the treadmill. And just the shit he went through to, to establish colonies in Kentucky and the American revolution was going on at that time. So the revolutions, you know, the British are coming in from this side. He's, he's fighting the natives trying to settle the, the, the territory and he's doing all this stuff. And I'm on the treadmill. I'm thinking, Man, the young people of the day, of today have no fucking clue what some of these people have gone through in this country. <laughs> anyway, I'm just ranting. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you know, I, I think every generation eventually faces its challenges. <clears throat> you know, we yeah. were saying about, you know, probably my generation, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, 9-11 hits. <laughs> you know? And, you know, yeah. now we've got, you know, then you have COVID. I'm sorry. That, that is something that's difficult for people. Yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, maybe maybe the Gen Zs, you know what they're going to have to face? They're going to have to face AI and robots. They're going to have to fight the robots. That's what they're going to have to fight. <laughs> I think they're going to have to deal with an incredibly complex uh, economic situation. Yes, oh. yes. No doubt. I heard Elon Musk say the other day, uh, you know, kind of half-jokingly, but I think he's kind of serious. He's like, you know, eventually there'll have to be some sort of universal pay because so so much technology will take over so many jobs that that you have to do something with society and you're gonna you're, there's gonna be a major problem there we could do a whole another episode on that too i'm gonna grab a drink real quick before we go to the next topics so go ahead yep okay folks we're back um so those topics you're gonna have to come back on the show because we could do like hours on each one of those <laughs> uh how in the world did you decide when you get out of the air force I'm looking at your LinkedIn. I'm like, okay, superintendent of schools. What? How? What? How'd that even happen, Todd? What? What happened? So I, I knew, you know, even when I was younger, that when I got out of the Air Force, I wanted to get an education. <clears throat> so I have a master's education. Uh, I was working on doctorate in education. Even inside the Air Force, you know, even though I was uh, operational, you know, I, I always strove for the instructor jobs. You know, as a platform instructor, teaching uh, flying. You know, as instructor and evaluator. Uh, taught leadership at the Marine Corps University at a senior level. So oh. I was always seeking out, pursuing education jobs to prepare me for when I got out. And what's interesting is I made colonel early, you know, uh, a couple of years early, which means Very nice. higher leadership. And colonel is the one rank that you have to stay in it for three years in order to retire in that rank. I see. You don't stay in three years and retire as a lieutenant colonel. Okay. So I just pinned on colonel, just pinned on colonel. <clears throat> And nice. Congrats. Now, now you're in for the long haul of five, six years, see if you make general and all that stuff, you know. And, and uh, I, you know, I was excited about that, but at the same time, wasn't looking forward to those five or six years. Okay. And then literally like like uh, like two months after I pinned on, the Pentagon came out with a force shaping policy that needed to get rid of senior officers. So they basically said any colonel can get out at any time and maintain their rank. And so I, I literally, my wife was uh, visiting Colorado, which her mom and dad had been. And I called her up at two o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. I said, I'm out. I'm going to get out. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Went to my jackass boss the next day, told him that I'm doing this. He says, I haven't given you approval. I said, I don't need your approval. <laughs> and Very so it was an overnight decision, but because I had kind of prepped myself, you know, for education, and I ran, I ran, you know, I ran a special operations schoolhouse, and then I also ran Afghanistan. We were responsible for developing their training programs. Mm. So I was looking at principal jobs in Colorado, and in Colorado, you, in order to get your principal certificate, you have to have taught for at least two years in the K to twelve system. Okay. But 
couldn't do that. So I started looking at charter schools, broadening my expanse or search. I started to see these jobs for superintendents. So I looked at what, what the superintendent did. What were qualifications the superintendent had? None. Zero qualifications. To be- <laughs> 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 so I figured I'd start, start from the top. <laughs> God. Yeah, I uh, superintendent jobs, you know, so my first job was down in the South Carolina School District, you know, very a challenged uh, uh, district down in, in the South. And yeah. so I got hired down there. Um, loved my work. Loved being a superintendent. And as I make these comments. The parents, also, too? You love the parents, too? Come on now. Come on now. There's definitely challenges. Definitely challenges, you know, but <laughs> I, I like that. Uh, and I mean no disrespect towards the people in the education system with teachers at all. But the system, I've never seen a system so pitted against itself <laughs> as education. <clears throat> it, yeah. you know, and that's what got frustrating is, is everywhere you looked, it was just another, you know, systemic issue that, mm. you know, you, you, you pull this, you change this variable and this variable changes. And, and it's, it's, once again, not talking about the individuals, it's a very low trust system. Okay. Really? Yeah, I've done a lot of. Uh, consulting and coaching in higher education systems, community colleges and uh, tech schools and stuff afterwards. And yeah, very, very low trust system. <clears throat> How about that? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, there are examples of high trust, but for the most part, very low trust systems. How would you like to be doing it in today's world where, because you last, you did that last in 2014, I think, correct me if I'm wrong. What if you were doing it today, Todd, and you went into the office and they want to have a meeting about is there, are they a girl? Are they a boy? And are they cats? And then all this other stuff that's going on. I mean, what, what if you were involved today? You, you'd probably just be like, okay, yeah, I can't do this. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's the conversation we're having are so far removed from what we need to do to really educate. And, and so that makes it difficult to protect the teachers, you know, and let them just do their job. Mm-hmm. You know, it also makes it very difficult to, to get the systems in place and the consistency and quality in place to help the students because you're constantly chasing all these different issues. And let's take a simple, I mean, when uh, when I was superintendent in, in Idaho Springs, it was a landmark case for transgender students here in Colorado. Colorado had one of the first cases okay. where, uh, I'm probably not going to use the terms correctly, but my intent is good here, where a young boy identified as a girl. And, back then, and wanted to compete and wanted to compete against girls. Uh, this girls like, it's like a, this, back then, it's like a middle school, elementary. It's had nothing to do with sports. This is okay. quite bathroom. Okay. Bathroom. I see. I see. Because this this was the court case. And this, uh, this young, we'll say young lady, okay, uh, in, in respect to, to her choices, you know, this young lady, uh, eventually the, the court said, yes, you have to provide a bathroom for this child. And it can't be the their own bathroom? bathroom? Like a private bathroom? That's the kind of one. Can't be the girl's bathroom. Can't be the boy's bathroom. I see. Yeah, All right. Okay. And so I just had a curiosity in our tiny little district up in Clear Creek. You know, I, I'm like, I'm just curious that we have a child like this that we need to be aware of, you know, now that this court case has come through. And sure enough, we did. We had a, a young boy that identified as a girl uh, in, I think, fifth grade or sixth grade or something. I asked, I asked, I'd like to go down and observe. Don't tell me who this child is. Since I just want to go observe. And I spent the morning observing this class. And at the end, I went up and said, okay, I, I think it's this young lady. I said, nope. I guess wrong twice before they told me who it was. Interesting. Interesting. That, that convinced me at that point that these children are truly born that way. And they identify. Interesting. That. Interesting. Okay. It was not a political thing. The parents were not making it happen or anything. That child was a girl, <laughs> was a girl. 
Interesting. And, and so it really has changed my mindset around all of that. Ah, okay. Uh, the point of this conversation, though, is, well, now we have to find a bathroom. So they make these rules and laws, and then they give you no money oh. to rectify it. Yeah. So mm. it's like, okay, well, what do we do now? Mm. How do we manage mm. this? Mm. And eventually we just said, well, what we'll do is we'll have a teacher's you know, bathroom. We'll just put student or teacher on it so that it, you know, anytime a teacher was inside, it would say teacher. And then it, once they were done, they flip it back over to go to, to I see. student. Student could use it if she wants. I to. see. And and then so you spent you spent several years in the school system there, and then why'd you make the move into professional co coaching, uh, uh, you know, and eventually into Vistage? Like, how did that kind of happen yeah. for you? So uh, John Barry, he was the superintendent of Aurora Public Schools, and he was a uh, Air Force retired uh, major general. He was okay. kind of like a mentor to me when I first came in, you know. Okay. Uh, and then he and I chatted, and he was getting out of education about the same time I was, and for okay. about some of the same reasons. It's like it's just the amount of effort it takes to get even some progress is tremendous. And he he told me he goes, you need probably you can probably do more good outside the system than inside the system. Mm. And so I happened to be actually the lady that I was dating when you and I met. Uh, she was an executive coach, okay. and so the two of them kind of convinced me I should go out and start working outside the system in terms of developing leadership. So that's how I uh, became an executive coach and eventually like a leadership consultant uh, that I've been doing now for. And you worked for Frank, Franklin Covey for for several years, right? I, several, I believe several companies. Yeah. So I was an independent contractor. Uh, Franklin okay. Covey was, was my main contractor. All right. Uh, Afterburner. Uh, it's all ex Air Force pilots and special operations people, and ah. very similar work. You know, it's it's strategy, and execution, and leadership development. And there's a few other companies like Resnick Partners here in Denver I coached with. So, so I coached with a, a, a variety of companies, you know, but, but basically always doing the same thing, senior level, executive coaching, you know, systems, process coaching. Okay. And then uh, how did you get uh, hooked up with Vistage? And I, you know, Vistage worldwide been around for a long, been around for a long time, right? I think. And, yeah. and uh, how, how'd that connection happen for you and why did you join them? couple things. It's interesting you and I are having this conversation because, you know, years ago when I was working a lot in Denver, you know, I had a lot of professional connections. And so like Mark, you know, invite me to the Christmas party and everything else. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I go to a lot of those things. And then, you know, for the couple of years prior to COVID, I was traveling almost every week, you know, with all these different jobs, you know, constantly. Okay. I loved it. Uh, then COVID hits, you know, and couple years of that and then it was last christmas you know several things were coming together at the same time one i was kind of getting sick of traveling yes uh, just yeah i mean how do i describe it once again is because i was being asked i didn't find the work i had to just go, go do the work is mm -hmm. some of the policies is getting too difficult i mean the sensitivities and, and stuff that are out there uh can't say anything that. can't say anything it might hurt somebody's feelings exactly exactly <laughs> And, we could do a whole we could do a whole show on that, my friend. We got to come back. Go ahead. So 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 again, yeah, several things are coming together around uh, fall, and I'll give I will use one example because it's the flip side of what I just talked about with that young uh, the young girl in our school. You know, changed my mind about that, and, and in a very good and positive way. So I am in complete support. You know, of, of children and people that identify as different sexes because I saw it. I witnessed it firsthand. But at the same time, you know, I was working with an executive group and we're trying to build trust 
And the very start of the day, you know, what I do is, is, and we use very, very specific terms to say, what behaviors do we need? What three behaviors are we going to focus on today to really help build this trust? This is a client, like this, you're talking to executives at a company or something like that. Even though I do work inside corporate and nonprofit and everything else, this is inside the university. And so the, the, te- the group came up with three uh, very st- uh, specific behaviors. It was demonstrate respect, listen first, and talk straight. Great. Okay, so what we're going to do is make sure that we're, we're practicing things that we don't see them. Let's make sure we're calling out. Well, one lady just like sits back and folds her arms and says, I don't agree with those behaviors. Um, I mean, I was really thinking What do you suggest? What do you suggest? Well, I was trying to understand. And so even yeah. though the conversations, you know, you, you probably got to sense my frustration. I was asking questions about what do we mean? What are you talking about? She goes, I just don't agree with those behaviors. And I said, well, which, like all of them or one of them? She goes, well, talk straight. I don't think we should have to talk straight. Like, well, how are we going to have some asking what, questions? What, 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 a fake talk? We're going to like side talk, yeah. fake talk? What, what do you mean? <laughs> and, then, and then she goes, well, I don't live in a straight world. And go back to like those World War II movies where the platoon all of a sudden finds themselves in the middle of the minefield. Like, oh, <laughs> like, like <laughs> she was tying the word straight into a sexual preference thing. Like that had not, that's not what the definition, that's not how you used the and word. The room just explodes now. Every, I mean, the whole team is arguing back and forth. And, oh, and wow. even this one gay gentleman who was in the, in the class, he got so funny. He goes, oh, what, I can't walk on a straight line anymore? <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> I lost complete control. It took me literally 30 minutes to get them to calm down again. And we substituted a word for it. That was fine. But, oh, my gosh. My no, God, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Whoa, whoa. For that meeting to continue, you had to substitute a word for – okay. Yeah, I would have been – yeah, I, I would have probably... I was fine with that. But it was more, you know, of course, you always get reviews and stuff. And I did 160 deliveries that year. And and this was one out of 100. So I only had four that were less than a nine or a 10, you know. Oh, okay. And this bad one, review. This one came back really bad. And I was chastised for not being sensitive enough. Like, what? This had nothing to do with me. It had to do with someone making a political statement inside the room. And we worked through it using the content. But the fact that I had to defend myself. And, and the, last one, the last one, the last one, the final straw, and, and I don't know what you'll edit out here, <laughs> put in, is, is <laughs> with, a, with a, another company out in California, a, a sports company, and it was about, I think, 18 women and two men, roughly 30 years old and stuff. And this is the first time they've been back together since COVID. <clears throat> okay. And so, same thing. I was, I was, you know, working on building trust, but this group is being a little, this group is being just a little bit, you know, honorary. And I couldn't get them back in seats on time. They're talking over each other. So there's a couple of times I had to, you know, be pretty heavy handed. From the- yeah, like, hey, guy, hey guys, you're paying for this shit, so pay attention. So that's my job is to deliver. <laughs> so my, my client partner is there with me who, who managed it. And she, at the end, she goes, hey, Todd, you did a great job. I love using you. you know, you're always so good with the clients. Even this one is unruly. But once again, we got really bad reviews. Okay. So my managing consultant, you know, I've got to go defend myself now, and which is stupid. You know, I was like, okay, why don't we just have a conversation about what happened as opposed to me feeling I'm defensive. But my client partner wanted to support me, so she hopped on too. And we're working through this, and, and my managing consultant keeps asking, what can you learn from this? What can you learn from this? I'm like, well, quite frankly, not a lot. <laughs> I mean, they, they just wanted to have a good time. They weren't there to really learn, and my job is to teach, and, and that's what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes mm-hmm. it just doesn't go well. And she kept saying, well, I'm just not hearing you own this. <laughs> and <laughs> my client partner finally jumps in at the very end. She goes, well, I did talk to the chief of HR afterwards. And the chief of HR says, uh, that, yeah, this group has difficulty with white alpha males. 
This is what my black female managing consultant says. Wow. We've had that complaint about Todd before. Well, you lose, you, you've lost before you even start talking. You, you lose as soon as you walk into the room. I couldn't believe that a black female is making me defend myself. And what am I going to learn about this comment about being white alpha male? I'm like, you are allowing a client to make a sexist, racist remark about me. Wow. You should have told the client, hey, wow. we don't appreciate that. Our consultant. Wow. Okay. Wow. You should, I, mean, I couldn't believe that. I had to defend my you were that done. Was, I was I was like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, back to back to the <laughs> party is, you know, so I was thinking about that and you know, what am I gonna do? I don't want to travel as much. And then I wasn't invited to a single Christmas corporate party <laughs> this year. I'm like, I have no network in Colorado anymore. And and I don't want to do work with this. I don't want to keep traveling. It's like it's fine, I'm gonna go into business on my own. And that's how I got uh, connected to Vistage. Because Vistage is, it's not like a, you're not buying a franchise, are you? Or how, how does it work? Do you mind telling us, how does the yeah, business model so, work? Yeah, Vistage does a training. I'll tell you, their training for their uh, their, their okay. uh, chairs is outstanding. Okay. I thought it was going to be very transactional. Here's how you go do cold calls and things like that. Yeah. No, and I've been through a ton of training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is one of the best. It, it really was. It prepares us very, very well to get keep peeling the layers back of leadership. But but do you own like a chapter or a region or yeah, what, I, what? I, they provide the process. They provide the process and all the admin, if you will, in okay. a, for me to develop my own chair practice. Anywhere you want. Well, yes. Well we, it's usually localized. But yeah, if I want if I move to Houston, I can do it in Houston. I see. I, I see. I see. Uh, but you can't. What if you? What if you have a buddy that wants to be part of it? That lives in Florida. That's that doesn't work that way. Want to fly up there? We do. We've got people like. Uh, oh, I see. I my see. group right now. One gentleman flies in from. Uh, we'll be flying up to Houston. His company's here in Denver, but he lives in Houston. Uh, okay. We've got another. Uh, it's one of my peer groups. Uh, it meets here in Denver, but the gentleman was in for a long time. He lives in Montrose, and every month he flies out to be a part of the group. Uh, I want to ask you a couple more questions. I know we're over time. Do you have just five more minutes, or do you got a bump? Okay. Do you have to, for the listener, did, did you have to um, pay an initial fee to be a, a chair or you, how did that work to get, to get in, to get the chair? Yeah. You, you put up money for their Academy, but you get that back once your group starts. Okay. And then, and then as, and then as the group members pay you, they get their fee, you, or they get a piece, you get a piece, basic yeah. transaction. Yeah. I see. Group, I see. You know, trying to build a group of about uh, 16 to 20 you know I've, I've got six right now six uh, all right and how many meetings a year it's, it's once a month once, once a month, a month. 12, 12 meetings great. a year okay yeah, this provides outstanding so what we usually do is the, the morning is usually uh, a guest speaker but it's not just a sit and get you know they, they'll have uh, outcomes from it you know we we'll work together in small groups you know to really apply the concepts Okay. Then the afternoon is, is is issue processing. Did you watch Ted Lasso? Nope. Gosh, okay, you got to watch that. All right. <laughs> As a person involved with leadership, it, it is a really uh, a very good leadership. Uh, okay. Series. All right. Uh, but he's got this group's called the Diamond Dogs. You know, whenever someone's got a problem, someone just starts barking like, "Oh, woo, 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 and the dogs all the all the coaches come together and they help this person solve their problem. Okay. And this is why it was also good for me to move over to Vistage from what I was doing. I've been doing a lot of individual executive coaching, and, and mm -hmm. that's great. And I like that. It's wonderful for personal growth. But I felt it was somewhat limited when it comes to, to helping that person address their business issues. Because 
we don't know that person's business as well I see. that person does. And I, I can see. only and mm -hmm. so back to this diamond dog concept is what the power of Vistage is bringing these CEOs together, you know, 16 to 20 CEOs together. So when right. Steve says, you know what, I'm having this, this, this personnel issue, this person's mm -hmm. really, really good technically, but they just have a toxic personality, you know, like, I, I mean, how do I work through this? And so then the diamond dogs, the, the Vistage group helps them process that issue. Okay. So, and then, and then there's actions that come out and then what we do in between the meetings is I provide a 90 minute to two hour executive coaching session. I so, see. So let's say we work through your issue, this this uh, uh, person that's again, very good technical skill, doing a wonderful job that way, but just a toxic personality. Mm -hmm. You say, okay, here's what I'm going to do. And then I would meet with you, you know, three weeks later, say, all right, Steve, what's, what's happened? What's transpired since, uh, since our issue processing? What have you followed up on? And that's the accountability. Okay. I see. I see. I have a couple of questions. So, I well, okay. So I interview lots of entrepreneurs and business owners on the podcast, and I deal with lots of founders and CEOs as a recruiting firm CEO, right? So I see them in, on both sides. A lot of the podcast guests and a lot of our clients as a recruiting firm are small to medium sized business owners, right, or entrepreneurs. Many of which do not have an extra. 10, 15 grand, whatever it is a year to just toss out there for, for, for this, for this uh, group. And I, and I know almost everything, well, maybe not everybody, but most people would benefit from it. It's harder for a smaller startup CEO to tell his team of eight people like, Hey, by the way, pull, pull, pull this money out. I'm pay for my membership over here so I can visit with Todd and his friends. What, what are what's your answer to that? Well, one is there's different levels. Okay, so I'm working at the CEO level, but there is a, a small business level too that brings the cost down for the small business owner. Oh, I see. I'm not exactly sure what that is, but you also start to lose some of the executive coaching level then. Okay. I, I focus I focus on companies uh, anywhere from about five to two hundred million. But what's really more important to me is how do they make their decisions. Okay. Less less about their revenue or their EBITDA, but how do they make their decisions? All right. Okay. Most likely, they're going to have a group of people working for them, so it's decentralized. They may have a board they have an answer to. So those okay. are the people I'm looking I for. see. And those, okay, and those groups can usually afford that that fee. I got you. Yeah. Well, when you get to the cost, though, and this is where I'll sound a little bit like an infomercial, but, but sorry about that, is, right. is Harvard has backed this up, okay, as well as Dun & Bradstreet, executive peer groups, okay, people that are parts of executive peer groups outperform okay, their, their peers. I believe it. Two to three percent. I believe it's it. like a lot. Okay, yep. but during the during the, the COVID, they outperformed their peers by eight percent. That's huge. Yeah. Okay, even yep. like a three yep. percent return every year on something, three to five percent returns is a good return. You know, and so that's if you're good. Hundred million dollars, yeah. you know, an extra three million dollars. Your twenty thousand dollar investment already <laughs> paid for itself. That's and good. I. That's good. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, the peer group thing, you know, and I, so before I started Riderflex, you, you probably know this, I ran a couple of $40 million CPG companies uh, as a CEO and president. And as I look back on my career and I have those reflective moments, I, I, I will say that being a CEO is a very lonely job, number one. Uh, and even your spouse really can't understand. So there, there are many, many nights where you need somebody to talk to, but you can't call your leadership team because you can't tell them certain things. You can't talk, even if you talk to your spouse, they have no idea what you're talking about or they can't really relate to it. So you're, 
kind of stuck there by yourself, which could lead to more alcohol consumption that you should have or whatever other vice you have. And, and uh, you know, so I, I believe fully that the peer group thing um, is a benefit because it allows them to talk to somebody else that can relate that has been there and done that or seen that or gone through that. So I, I'm, I'm a big believer in that for sure. That's, that's the power. And that's why I said, I, I saw myself somewhat limited as a, as a, an individual executive coach. And as I started to see more and more of a peer group coaching, it's like that, that's pretty powerful. And mm-hmm. that, a lot of, a lot of, uh, leaders kind of poo-poo that executive isolation, you know, or, or they don't recognize they're isolated. Like you're saying, oh, they're isolated. They're I'm, isolated. I've got my leadership team. I could talk to you. It's like, you're just yeah. Yeah. open with your leadership team as you are in this group over here. You can't so that allows, you know, has thought partners allows you to look at things through different perspectives, you know, bounce some ideas off. Yes. You know, a complete, yes. complete openness, you know, complete openness and confidentiality. And that's really the power of it. And you mentioned some of the personal stuff is one thing I do with my groups is, we do every so often do happy hours, bring the spouses in. We do a retreat with oh. the spouses. Okay. So the spouses can get to know each other and have their support group too. Because That's I'm cool. That's cool. Commander in the Air Force, uh, we had our informal, you know, executive groups. Commanders all get together. We kind of, so this is, uh-huh. a, you know, but the spouses also got together too. So they could support each other as they went through, you know, the, the, the same, really the same trials and tribulations we did as, as, as leaders. And so there is that aspect of it as well, because you know, a lot of people say, well, what's the difference between personal coaching and executive coaching? I said, neither, not much. Executive not much. coaching really is about getting results in, in the professional world. But I will say 75% of my executive coaching turns towards personal issues. They're, they're bringing their child to work. You know, they're bringing these, the way they deal with relationships to work. They're bringing their relationship to work and stuff. So it really is a, a nice way that I say, we always focus on principles first. Let's really identify our principles and values. Let's have humility as a group, okay, to 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 recognize when we're not making our decisions based on principles and values or adhering to them. Let's mm-hmm. have the courage to help each other out and live by those principles. Can values. you say? Can you talk straight, so to speak? Not to bring it back to that, but can you can you say what you want without? Oh, sorry, Johnny, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Yeah, absolutely. And I say, you know, like this came out of the special operations. We always had a, a phrase, you know, we're debriefing. We're trying to learn. We need to create an environment of respectful truth over artificial harmony. Respectful truth. I like that. Artificial harmony is going to get you to good. Okay. Respectful truth gets you to great. Oh, that's good. That's a lot. Oh, hey, we're going to wrap it up on that line right there, my friend. By the way, if people want to, if people want to get a hold of you to talk to you or they have interest in your group, what's the best uh, form of communication you want to share? LinkedIn's obviously easy. Okay. Uh, I'll give you my easy uh, email, Todd.Lancaster, T-O-D-D.Lancaster, L-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-R, at me, MikeEcho.com. And feel free to just reach out, 719-322-4336. And it is Todd, parentheses, Burt Lancaster, if you're uh, trying to look him up on LinkedIn, and he'll pop up easier if you put it in that way. Uh, Vistage, Vistage Chair Executive Coach uh, is the current uh, activity on LinkedIn as well. I could talk to you for several more hours, but uh, we'll let you go on this episode. Then I'll then I'll have you back soon. Todd, thanks a lot for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Steve. Appreciate it. Thanks.